0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Geordie Bailey. And I'm the man that's been waiting for this mature,
1: adult, funny, clever, and just satisfying, fancy TV
0: show for way, way, way too long, Duncan Nichol. Mature. Duncan, you know that in the final battle they do go up a a dragon's butt, right? Hey, listen, the standard isn't exactly high. I'm going to call it mature. I And I, I see exactly what you mean. Duncan, this week we are doing a little bonus episode and we are talking about uh, the hit fantasy TV show, The Legend of Vox Machina, specifically season two, which is just wrapped. Absolutely.
1: It's been a wild ride and something that I, to be quite honest, binged. I watched maybe the first mm-hmm. five episodes kind of slowly and then mm-hmm. I sat down one evening at about half five, just going from work, just eaten. And I, I watched, I was just thought, I watched one episode. I watched two episodes. I watched another episode. <laughs> and I'm like, half seven, I'm turning this off and I am going to do
0: laundry. And mm-hmm. then at 10 o'clock, I finished the season and it was great. Uh, well done, Duncan. Five, wow, five hours of Legend of Ox Market. That's crazy. I I thought that even the like weekly release of three episodes, oh, just perfect, like a perfect amount. And because they had these, like, nicely structured out... They drop them in batches of these three... You got the first, They resolved the problem of the last cliffhanger... Oh, and then they go to a new direction with the second episode... And the third episode, they set up a new cliffhanger... And every single time, I was like... Oh, God, I can't believe I have to wait another week... And I already knew how the story was going to go... Because... Duncan, of course, the legend of Vox Machina... It's an unusual title for a TV show, right? You don't get a lot of shows with names like that anymore, because this is an adaptation, isn't it?
1: It is an adaptation, an adaptation that make, makes your comments about four out five hours in a one are quite hu- humorous. I think that's the standard episode length for the old show. That's right.
0: That's right. It's true.
1: VI <laughs> uh, yeah, is an adaptation of a. Live streamed D and D campaign mm-hmm. thing,
0: classic. You know, that's the way these. Uh, that's the way that you you know you make media. You know, first of all, cool. you have the at home Dungeons and Dragons game, and then the streamed Dungeons and Dragons game, and then a series of tie in comic books and TV shows about a live streamed D and D game, and that's how most art gets made. You know, I mean, it worked for
1: Stephen er- Erickson, so yeah. Yeah, so um, I need to come out and say this very quickly. Mm-hmm. Jordi, I've watched a grand total of less than maybe 20 minutes of Critical Role. Sure, sure. Um, I got introduced through the first TV show, the season one of Legends of Machina. I went yeah. to watch the D&D campaign, and um, uh, it's not my preferred format, let's say, for media Sure, no,
0: I completely understand that. I would consider myself a fan of Critical Role in a very strange sense. Excuse me, I I burped. I would consider myself a fan of Critical Role in quite a strange sense, in that I really like Critical Role, but I've never actually finished a series. Like, I watched 80% of the first campaign, The Legend of Vox Machina. I watched maybe almost half of Mighty Nine, the second campaign, and I watched an hour of the latest one, Hell's Bells. I do consider myself a fan. Like, I like it a lot. But boy, is it a time investment. Like, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, and that takes up a lot of time, like four hours a session. And to watch four and a half hours of a DD game I don't get to participate in, even when I was super into it, I was skipping around a lot. I mean. And for that reason, I kind of feel like this adaptation is almost a work of evil genius, you know? Uh, No, I don't know what, as in they can actually, like, condense it down. Absolutely. Like, this is a really good adaptation. And what I think is going to be the main point of this episode, Duncan, what we can sort of bring to it in a discussion is that I know what's been adapted. I've seen all the events that take place in the Chroma Conclave arc, the current arc of Vox Machina. And you've never seen it. You've played Dungeons & Dragons, but you've never seen Critical Role. You don't know what the plot is. You don't know who the characters are. You experience it completely fresh.
1: As a TV show, Like that is as my a TV entire show. context. And there were definitely yeah. moments where I'm like, oh, I really want to know like how did that go down in the confines of like, D&D rules. But sure. for me, this is the medium that I want to consume this story. And to be quite honest, as a... As a consumer, as an audience member, I actually can't Mm. comprehend that there would be a better medium for the
0: story that is being told. Speaking Uh, as someone who has seen Critical Role as its own thing and read the comic book adaptation of it, yeah, this is the best medium for Critical Role. If you've seen Critical Role and you liked it, but you haven't seen the TV show yet, if you've seen Critical Role and wished you could like it, but... Like, for Duncan, it was just, like, too long. This is the way to enjoy, like, the story of Vox Machina, the heroes of Critical Role. I feel like you always just need to dive into it,
1: because I don't know much more this is going to say. It's an adaptation. It's a fantasy TV show. I think it's definitely come along at the right time. Uh, i think i've kind of mentioned first you know the fantasy landscape especially in tv has evolved so much over the last sort of decade since game of thrones came mm. along but this really feels like the continuation more of the vein of shows like avatar the last airbender being animated mm-hmm. and i think what this show has done is taken up a space that i felt was always a bit empty and there have been shows that sort of etched around it in terms of western animation I, and that's of a key point i think anime has been doing mm-hmm. some of these things for a very long time but western animation. Uh, being both uh, mature
0: but not juvenile with its mature content, if you get me. Yeah, because that... what you're sort of hinting at is that there are plenty of adult animations, but they're stuff like Rick and Morty and Inside Job, they are dark comedies. Yeah, and that's definitely been And whilst like... this is a funny show and even some of the comedy is dark, it is actually telling a sincere story about a band of fantasy adventurers. And it's that absolute sincerity which I think
1: I've not seen since something like Avatar: The Last Airbender, which I watched uh, not quite when it came out as a kid, but in my very early teens. Um, sure.
0: And and, um, and I and I think I see exactly what you're saying if I had to say what I think this show is, I would say take Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, take Avatar: The Last Airbender, and take Invincible and smash them together, and you get the Legend of Vox Machina. and they're two great shows so then let's just jump into the show let's take this show let's apart do like we would a uh,
1: book in a normal episode yes we are normally a book club people please come back weekly for our dissection <laughs> of fantasy literature <laughs> and let's dive into the legends of fox machina
0: geordie duncan oh your favorite that. character? double whammy we both tried to <laughs> who's my favorite character um and is it still percy from season one or has it changed that's that's a funny thing to say. I, actually, Duncan, I think I'm going to ask you that question, okay? I think it's more interesting to start with you. Okay, okay,
1: so for someone who doesn't know where this story kind of goes along the term, season one of The Legend of Bob Machina was very much focused on one member of this band, the character mm-hmm. of Percy. I'd say a good eight episodes of 12 episodes of season one is about his backstory, overcoming his past and personal demons. He gets the that's most right. character development, the most focus, and he's very much... He's the posh, snide remark kind of guy. Mm. And he's the one that I think closest to being too cool for school in Attitude. (laughs) And I can definitely see why he would be a favourite. And he was my favourite in the first season because I think everyone else doesn't get enough uh, attention. Mm. Going into season two, it's a bit of a flip because a lot more characters get their backstory or get that time in the sun. That's right. Um, I think I'm particularly surprised by Scanlan and... Mm -hmm talking about, like, comedy jokes, but given a sense of sincerity. He had a character moment which is beautiful. But to my almost surprise, actually, in fact, no, to my absolute surprise and shock, my favourite character in season two was the one that was least in the first season. And that is
0: Pike. Really? Yeah, I mean, I can definitely understand why. (laughs) I'd love to hear more about Pike being your fave. Well, so Pike is... And I think this... Pike, for me
1: taps into the same aspect that i like in a lot of my dnd characters pike okay. is the one when i look at this story i go i would want to play pike because mm. pike is the cleric pike is the one who's most um i'd say trying to be good mm-hmm. and i think Pike gets given the most sort of less the least amount of sort of broodingness which sort of overhangs some of the <laughs> other members of the cast uh, Vex and Vax even uh, Grog in this one I think has some broodingness his kind of story but mm-hmm. also isn't the innocent uh, with Keyleth like if it almost boils down like naivety Pike I like it because it's like this will of good and like I want to do the best in the world and I'm going to stick my van mates but she has this hard kind of angry edge which mm-hmm. stops her kind of being I don't know slightly annoying to me I think I'm like yes you've got that sense of action there and that's ultimately, great. I, I, if I was when I play D and play a lot of paladins, and I know Pike. I don't think is a direct paladin, probably a cleric, mostly um, well, a, a war cleric, cleric, a war cleric. Oh, wonderful. Uh, that's who I'd want to play. That is the part, the role in the party. that I'm like, yes, use your divine powers, go at
0: them. Defend I have them. to say and- something that's really interesting about Pike in this show is I feel like it is so obvious that the people who animate the fights. Pike is their favorite character as well. Because the way they animate Pike fighting is just so crazy. Like, she's doing cartwheels and flips and smashing people with a holy mace. It's insane. And, like, none of the big fights in the show either really focus around her in the same way that some of them did in the first season. But they still just love to show her just walloping people. In the show, they had this theme around they said like oh pike is like the second most physically strong character after grog and i never bought into it i never bought into her being rough and tough and like super cool but they completely sell it in the show are you saying so in the original in the the game game. in the in the campaign i felt like she very much got pigeonholed into healer even though she was like a war cleric and like was doing a lot of damage of, like, rays of light and stuff. She was very much, like, picking people up and saving people's lives. And that's still an important thing she does in the show, but way more emphasis is placed in her being a a butt kicker. And I think the fact that she also kind of falls on this slightly
1: more you know still got that caring edge though i think that's why i really enjoy it i love the you know looking after grog sort of looking after scanlan and not just looking after him but also like trying to make him a better person
0: yes yeah so
1: and yet when it gets to the violence it's Mm -hmm. not that angry fight most of the time but you know she Mm -hmm. can kind of like slowly get angry and it's that dynamic of her character which i think comes through and develops in the combat and in her interactions which just and basically I just feel like the Viking sort of maybe less attention, she seems mm-hmm. the most multi note. That phrase we use. Multi note. layered <laughs> you can
0: have a one note character, you can have a multi note character, that M- multi layered character. But now, so I I'm glad you picked up on the relationship between Pike and Scanlon because I really want to hone in on that. And I want to hone in it when we talk about changes made from the source material to um to this new medium. I'll jump in and I'll say that my favorite camp my character favorite, My favorite character for this season is absolutely Scanlon. Uh, I've always loved Scanlon. Uh even when in earliest part of Critical Role he's literally just a joke character. One that Scanlon didn't that one that Sam Regal, his player and actor, because I don't think we really made this clear, but the Legend of Machina is such a direct translation from the show that all of the characters in the show are played by the people who played them in the game. Like, they're all professional voice actors. So, now they just carry on playing these really, like, familiar characters and giving them new depth and basically getting a second draft at telling their original story. When the first when they started playing the game, Sam Regal made Scannon as a joke. He made his name out of a random name generator. Like, he just didn't was not interested in making him a character of any depth. And in this second season of the show, we see the moment where Matt Mercer stared Sam Regal dead in the eye and said, you are going to take this much, much more seriously. Can you, be- can you guess what that moment is? Oh,
1: it has to be the moment when our lovable bard, who mm-hmm. constantly quips about, oh, in every city we go to, he beds another woman... Uh, basically, has to sit down and go. Oh, I have a daughter I never knew about. Exactly. I guess that happens. Should that have thought happens. of
0: that. It it's changed around a little bit in chronologically, but they really play it up and um, and it was very emotionally affecting, even in the original campaign. Like Sam Regal took that ball and he immediately ran of it, and the same change you see in Scanlan happen in a TV show also happened at a table, in a slightly different way, but. Man. So, Duncan, uh, hi, hi, here's a little challenge for you. You know, you're new to the show. I'm very much not new to the show. So, can you just give us, and for the benefit of the audience at home, give us a little a little roster rundown. To who are the, the characters of Vox Machina?
1: Okay, so our hero's band, Vox Machina, is made up of Percy, who sure. is the sharpshooter. He is the noble, the sniper marker, the sarcastic one. The mm-hmm. the posh straight man foil a lot of the time. We've What's got Vex name? and Vax. Percival De Rolo the, N- the, no, first, I, a, the Third. No, you're missing something there. Percival Frederickson?
0: Yes. Or...
1: Frederick Stein. Percival Frederickstein De Rolo the Third, I can't remember the rest of it.
0: Um Von Mussel Kowalski de Rolo the Third.
1: Uh, then we've got uh, Grog who is our barbarian strong man he's I would say he's the the heart of the team if I cry away love Grog interesting then we've got um, then we've got Keylith Keylith is a druid elf she is in touch with Nathan she's saw southern naive one mm-hmm. of the team I'd say uh, against the some of the evils of the world although they know she felt about like the magical side of things you've got Vex who I confuse with facts and I don't know which one they're twins and I don't know which name it is Vex is the male twin no. Oh! Vax is the male twin. Um, Do you know that? He's, he's
0: the rogue. No. All right. Vax is short for Vaxildan, and Vex is short for Vexalia. Yeah. Cool. Who are they? Vexalia. I can remember that. Okay. Okay. Vax. Vax
1: is the rogue. Uh, he and his sister are children of a elf embassy bloke. He didn't like them. They ran away at a young age, hit the road. You've got... A Rogan Ranger, I think they're sort of the most maybe not quite the most sort of street wise, but they're kind of clued up on the way of the world. They have a mm-hmm. bear as a pet. What, it's cute. What's the bear's name? Um Fighting Bear?
0: The bear's name Dumbie. is Trinket, Duncan.
1: Trinket. Trinket. Who gets uh, travels about like a Pokemon. Then you have Pike, your
0: favourite character.
1: Then we have Scanlon, mate,
0: right? you're jumping over yep. people.
1: Then we have Scanlon. Scanlon's the bard. He's the ladies' man. He's always there to make a joke. He's also and a fellas' man out in the p- TV
0: show. They make him pan.
1: That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, great. Excellent songs out of Scanlon in this show. And surprising amount of heart. And then finally Pike, the cleric, the moral centre, uh, the one with the angry edge and my favourite character mm. by far uh,
0: in season two. So let's let's just really break down what happens in season two of the show? You mentioned that season one is much more focused on Percy. It's his personal struggle. It adapts the Briarwood arc. The the arc in the t in the original show, which really solidified that this was like a special, special game. But this is probably the most popular The most popular part of the campaign. The Chromaconclave arc. What is the Chromoconclave, Duncan? What's the source of drama in this show? So the Chroma Conclave the
1: criminal, the criminal conclave, the crimble crumble, chroma, the criminal C- chroma, chroma, League of Dragons, is in
0: chromatic,
1: the League of Evil Dragons. Duncan, this is the f- 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 the chroma conclave. Yeah, the chroma conclave is a League of Evil Dragons <laughs> who, at the end of season one of the Legends of Otmachina, attack the lead city just in the middle of their victory celebrations. Mm-hmm. And this season picks up immediately after, like, the very second, mm-hmm. almost on the same shot. And we get the crew of, the, of Rox Machina fleeing the disaster that these dragons are wreaking yep. down upon the city. And event, essentially, this arc sets up... Sorry. Essentially, uh, this season sets up this a longer-running arc that isn't concluded in this season that the band of heroes must travel the land and essentially track down magical items of extreme power. These magical items are cool, Georgie. Vestiges of Divergence. Thank you. And I think each, basically each character is getting one. Mm -hmm. And these will give them the power... Some might get two. ...to fight... Ooh, that is exciting. Uh, ...to fight the Dragon Lords um, and save the kingdom. Yeah. And they'll travel the land, meeting new people, having Mm -hmm. mini-adventures... Uh, to do that. And I'm not going to lie, it's a great setup mm-hmm. for a D&D campaign. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Off you go, it's find way, the way
0: more of a and d campaign than the first season, which is, um, like I said, it's way more personal. It's focused around Percy individually and it all gets focused around his character. Everyone else is extraneous to it. And they all have really good moments. They have cool moments, moments of personal drama, like an episode where Scanlan has to prove himself. An episode where Vax confesses his feelings to Keyliff, stuff like that. But this season is all about, and this is very true to the spirit of the original, these series of mini-adventures. When I say mini, I mean like, <laughs> like actual extended adventures originally of like, you know, 16 hours of adventure playtime condensed down to one episode where they get to focus on individual characters, where this is an episode about Keyleth, she's gonna like be the focus. This is an episode about Vexalia, she's gonna be the focus. Everyone gets their their turn of a spotlight. So if you have a favorite character, you just have to wait for the moment where the show gets to be all about them. Except for Percy. Percy
1: had so much of his own time in season one. I don't think anyone can be sad <laughs> that, I, I for think that's completely fair.
0: But I do. I do actually. No, that's not true. I feel kind of bad for Percy, because Percy was a bit of a background feature at this point. Like, he doesn't, at this point in the story, have a vestige of his own. And his vestige in particular, I'd say, is one of the less interesting ones when he eventually gets one. Spoiler, that he gets vestiges. But... I felt like Percy was kind of like a bit of a one note character and a lot of his gravitas was lost.
1: I can definitely see that. And I do think the particularly coming off season one, season one, we established that Percy is possessed by this spirit that's driving him to, for revenge. Um, and I generally thought at the end of season one, he gets, you know, the spirit is expelled uh to summarize and i generally thought this season we might have gotten a little bit more like self-reflection like how do i go on in the world you know i've lost my main <laughs> drive you know he's achieved his life goal his life goal from a very young age was always to get his revenge revenges no, revenge, sorry his life goal was always to avenge his family mm-hmm. um and he's achieved that now so i thought there might be a bit more of him like oh what am i up to now yeah, and we don't really get that. we don't really get a lot of conversations with Percy even I agree. between missions it's sort of like he's just there to make a sniper mark, kind of be clever
0: and fire his gun something I will say and I've mentioned this to other friends who've been watching the show and it's something I kind of miss about the Chroma Conclave arc which I don't think has survived adaptation but I also think is a very smart adaptational choice and I'm glad they didn't do this My favorite part of the Chroma Conclave arc was how long it took. Like, it really was an extended adventure. It was, like, months in-game, like, of preparing for final battle, gathering up these artifacts, but also gaining allies, and turning Whitestone, essentially, into, like, a, a, a center of resistance. And there's, like, they spend two episodes, or two fractions of episodes, in Whitestone in this season and i kind of missed the cozy parts of the chroma conclave arc the moments where it was quiet and it was just the characters hanging out because these are really really good role players but hey ho that's um that's something that um i'll talk about some more stuff when i talk about adaptation and adaptational changes some more stuff which i like um might bring up but um that's something i i, I do miss a little bit but i do think it's a smart change
1: well that's something that I've kind of wrestled with because there's so many points in here where I'm like, you know, what are they changing? What are they doing? How does this feel like very D&D? And how does this not feel like D&D? Mm. Uh, one of the issues I had when I tried to watch Critical Roll, it just made me sit there and go, I'd rather be playing my own game. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be, if I'm going to spend four hours of my life, I'd rather be sat down with the guys and gals mm. and playing D&D and having our own adventures and making our own kind of connections. A question um, token.
0: When yep. you started tried to watch Critical Role, did you start with episode one? Oh,
1: no, not even that. I started with, um, I, th- I think it was the first of the Briarwood arc. I think that i I gone online. I That's had a good a one. Someone on read it said, watch it from here. And mm-hmm. to be honest, it just so quickly got me to a point of, I see what you're doing, mm-hmm. but I just can't work the time and the visuals. It just wasn't it didn't have a flow in my head. I just felt like I was watching other people have fun. Whereas even when I watch the TV show, as soon as it sounds weird, you know, I'm still just watching it. I feel more part of the action. You know, mm. I feel like I'm there with the characters a lot more. I think it might in a weird way be sort of a, maybe sort of like a fourth wall issue. It's like when you watch critical role, I'm watching the actor playing, voicing the character. Sure. Um, Whereas in the show, I'm just watching the
0: character. No, Even um, as, also- I know what you mean, I know what you mean. Uh, even as someone who really likes Critical Role, I have to say, I probably skipped whole episodes worth of the show just jumping around, going from bits I found boring or moments where they were a bit too bogged down in like the maths of calculating damage. And I just was like, okay, okay, on to the next moment, on to the next moment. Oh, and dude, we've got to stop there, right? calculating damage like the mass
1: of playing D i'm gonna tell you now and i mean this i really mean this in the nicest way possible and i love playing <laughs> D with you and all the guys yeah um i sometimes struggle to pay attention to the mass of my own damn turns <laughs> let alone the other people i'm playing with i'm literally st- in the nicest way i sometimes yep. sit there and go yep I'm just gonna zone out. Yep, he's doing his damage. Sure, sure, sure. Just tell me when you get to the final number, guys. In fact, sometimes I'm like, just tell me when you get to my turn again. Uh, that's bad. Oh, a paladin. Bad. I'm doing divine you strike. Do
0: that's the complete faux pas. But anyway, I know. But I, I'm no. not like that at all. But I do get annoyed at how long it takes to calculate damage. And D and D has made me so much better at basic addition. Like I am incredibly fast at adding up numbers now because I play so much Dungeons & Dragons. So what I will just do when we play D&D is that someone will roll damage. I will immediately go, better 27, 27, all right, it's 54, now it's 77, 61 damage. He's done 61 damage. All right, let's move on.
1: Do you know what? Maybe it's not actually the adding up of the dice. Maybe it's the, when we all sitting there, we're like, okay, guys, what, what are we going to do? And when it's meant to be like, like it's fine because it's a tactical game and mm-hmm. it's a bit of a puzzle a lot of good combat in D when your dm's really really good smart to you um it's like w- real good combat it's like is like a it's like a puzzle and you're thinking about who's got what abilities you know if you all just stood there and you're all just fighters and you're just exchanging blows it would be dull. it's like that ability and that puzzle work mm-hmm. um i just don't find it fun to watch other people do that it's like yeah. watching and i know this is weird but it's like it's i don't cool. watch um twitch streamers of games despite being quite a big gamer i've never gotten it i don't get
0: watching other people have fun Mm. no i've Um, sort of moved on from that myself as well okay dunk so when you're watching the show like did you have like a favorite episode like is there a serious high point for you in this show i
1: definitely have to give it to not the actual climax of the show but the climax of grog's arc sort of three episode arc when he Mm. uh, takes over the herd, not horde, that he originally Mm -hmm. was exiled from a a herd of half giants led by his uncle. And this is, I would say, sort of the punch the air moment of like the gang coming back together, Grog doing a very sort of Mm. Naruto, I will believe in myself and I won't give up and I'll stand for my friends and punching back, (laughs) even though he's getting his (laughs) ass beat. Um, Definitely, I think, Mm -hmm. my personal
0: highlight. I think that's. I think it's a great adaptation. It's one of my favourite moments from the original game. Is um you know that standalone moment for Grog, and I think it's really well adapted. Um, something I actually always bugged me about the show is that it's this moment of Grog standing up for himself and like fighting the man whom he's always feared, and he gets his ass kicked in the fight and has to call in his friends to help. And it like it has its um you know it has its emotional catharsis because like the whole point of it is he realized that his strength is in his friends. But it always was, felt like a little, little bit of a letdown that he had to, like... He got his ass completely beat. But I liked it way... It, in, the, in this show, they've been separated for a long time. And this is the moment where half the team comes back to save the day. And I felt like that was way stronger than them being there the whole time. Just waiting to jump in. Okay, it's time to jump in. I think that it was handled way better. The bit in the show where they're separated is completely different from the original, and I think is one of the best changes made in this season, with a lot of good changes. I do you know I was so
1: wondering that when I was watching it because I'm like, you don't split the party. How do you, how do you balance this? Um, but I really enjoyed that moment. I also really kind of, mm-hmm. kind of like the message. Um, I do sort of like the fact that Grog, is, The message is like he's fighting his battle because it's the right battle to fight, not because he actually thinks he's gonna win, and he wouldn't win. But he's going to fight yeah, anyway. Absolutely. And that's another change. That's not an original and show. that's such a really nice message to see, uh, which you don't often see a lot in literature. You know, a lot of the time I see it, particularly when mm-hmm. I was a kid watching my uh, my bit of anime, you know, he'd get beaten up, but then he'd really believe in himself mm-hmm. and then his power would come flooding through. Um, <laughs> and I like the mm-hmm. fact that he got genuinely beaten, but he went to fight regardless. So that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And although... It had um, my other two favourite characters, Pike and Scanlon, there as well, for the majority of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this was the most emotionally cathartic moment for the of the show.
0: I found my strongest point was also emotional catharsis. And it was two episodes later, in the final episode of the show. I'm sure you know, you've, I've said that my favourite character for the season is Scanlon. So obviously... The fulfillment of his character arc of him no longer being afraid of these dragons, which is like a, a running theme throughout the the second season, that he doesn't really believe that they can win. The moment where he stands up and he defeats Umbrasil using um using um Myth Carver is so, so emotionally strong. Like it feels amazing that this tiny joke character finally gets this pivotal moment everyone's forgotten about him because he's so small and insignificant and it's his courage that wins them the fight I, I love it so much plus it's like really well animated and very dramatic and it's a big musical sting as well do you feel that
1: it, this show benefits so much from not having like a a knight character like this really is such a good ensemble show that there is no one person who mm-hmm. i'm like yeah they're gonna pull the sword from the stone uh Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, there is no principal character. Like, like there's no he- hero. There's no leader. But that makes that moment so much more
1: powerful that, you know, the bard is the guy who yeah. pulls it from the stone, you know, pulls it from the dragon and takes it because any one of them, it mm-hmm.
0: he- can be or is simultaneously the hero. Absolutely. They all get their moments in the spotlight and they even, like, um the final fight is so much, the spirit of it is, like, we're only going to get through this... This, this nail-biting, impossible fight by standing up for each other. All the clutch moments is about someone else swooping in to save someone. To save Grog from an acid breath, to stop someone else falling off a ledge. To shoot the dragon in the eye at the last moment so it stop doesn't eat Vexalia. It's all about, we're keeping each other alive because that's the only way we're going to make it through.
1: Do you have a, a weakest moment for this season? Because we've it a lot.
0: Ooh... Ooh, now that's... I do have a weakest moment, and my weakest moment is an adaptational change. I've already said that I feel like so many of the changes they made to the show in the adaptation are, are really excellent. And, for example, you know the characters of, of Kasha and, um, and Zira? Uh, these are the two mercenary people that go along
1: with them to the tomb under the lake.
0: Yeah. So that's a great example of it being changed because those are fan favorite guest characters like these were people who were like originally like people who showed up for one or two episodes they joined in the adventure they are both also professional voice actors the guy who plays kashar is the voice of spike mulligan from cowboy bebop no oh, really oh i didn't know just that that's
1: so cool yeah I'm so excited this first time I get to make a correction. Geordie uh, was meant to say Spike Spiegel is the main character of Cowboy Bebop, and he now feels shame. Lots of shame.
0: Yeah, those two are actually married. The um the woman who plays Zira, uh, I don't know her surname, her name's Mary, and she was the voice director for Cowboy Bebop, and that's how they met, and then they got married. Actually, Duncan, it's way more embarrassing that. I, I completely screwed up the anecdote. Uh, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn... Is the voice actress of Zara and the voice director of Cowboy Bebop, and married Steve Blum, who is the actual actor behind Spike Spiegel. So I didn't just screw up the Spike Spiegel bit; I I screwed up everything. Uh, that's actually quite embarrassing. Yeah, but but the point is aside from that, just fun factoid. The point is that that's not remotely how they show up in the, um, in the original show, but the spirit of it is, is right. Like, it's nice to see Kasha and Zara, um, show up, because, um, because, you know, you're, you're fond of them, and they show up in, like, a similar context, but, like, at the wrong time, and they have, like, a different, slightly different relationship to the party. It's, like, a really fresh take on familiar characters. But there is a character who is noticeably absent, And unfortunately, I don't remember his name, but he was the best, the best of many guest stars which the show had. And he's not here. And there's a specific reason for that. And that is this, the guy who played him was Patrick Rothfuss. Oh, oh,
1: I've, I've seen like a four minute clip of Patrick Rothfuss, um, playing with these guys. Patrick of Office, for those that do not know, is the author of the King Killer Chronicles, uh, yeah. The Name of the Wind and Wise Man Fears and is up there with George R. R. Martin for not putting another fancy book out in basically over a decade now.
0: Yeah, like he actually puts George R. Martin in the dust, to my understanding. But um no, like obviously he's too busy writing because he for some reason he's not in the show. Uh, but he was, like, one of the highlights of the second season. Like, the two occasions that he, like, showed up to adventure with them are some of the best moments in the whole show. The, the name of the episode, Passed Through Fire. And the whole theme around Keylip, the, the, the leitmotif of Keelip passing through fire was, was came from a letter written to her in character by Patrick Rothfuss after the defeat of Umbrasil. Like that whole thing is like an invention of Patrick Roffes, and he's not in the show. Super disappointing.
1: So that ties in beautifully to my weakest moment in the show, and it was actually the Keyleth uh, section. Not that it was bad. So Keyleth's own personal story arc is she goes to the realm of the Fire Elves or what have you, and basically she needs to reunite with her father. Tell her that, tell him that she hasn't made as much progress in her Grand Destiny quest as she kind of hoped she would have, her and help them seal it. a demon portal to the Fire Realm. Yep. Um, totally not the plane and of fire. essentially, not the plane of fire. Yeah, yep. legally uh, distinct. Love how they carved of off a lot of the uh, branding here. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't bad. But compared to all the other character moments, I felt this was rushed.
0: I I, think I felt you're so this wrong. was the one thing where I so wrong. I love that one. I think it's such... It's, I think it's really a good episode. Um, I think it does a lot of justice to Keyleth, uh, who is surprisingly, like, actually kind of a controversial character. A lot of people who watched uh, Critical Role originally did not like Keyleth. And honestly, I was kind of in the same boat, which I'm actually a little embarrassed about considering how good of a character she is ultimately and how much I like her. She's definitely my second favorite character after Scanlan. But man, I love that episode. I I can't um I can't really
1: kind of comment on like, you know, the wider context, but i, f- I feel like and maybe I'm completely wrong, I feel like maybe that was a bit of the issue though. I just felt that this they're right, this episode, I kind of wanted more. This is the only time watching the show mm. where as someone who has no idea about Critical Role and like all the wider D D campaign, that I just kind of I felt I felt time restrictions. I just there were just moments I'm like Ooh, I feel like this should have been a
0: bit longer. The funny thing but... is that, honestly, that's part of a show which isn't like cut down that much. Like that, uh, very, you're, We're missing out on one thing, and it's going to be very important to the next season, so I won't give it away. One element of that part of the show is removed, but honestly, it's quite a short section. I also completely skipped it the first time through. Literally, only thing that's important is that that's how Vex got her broom. Um, that's the only thing that matters about that episode, but otherwise extremely forgettable. So a big improvement. Maybe that's my change of perspective, that it's such an improvement over the original that I just have, um, that I change it. But I really like about it is that this is how, like, it. I think it flows together quite naturally in that it's not just about Keelof learning this lesson. It's not just about her coming into her, her confidence. It's also quite practical in that this is how she gets her new elemental form she walks into the plane of fire uh, the fire realm um and uh, she like becomes one with the fire she becomes one with nature i also like that it's like well it's very avatar the last airbender isn't it
1: one sec my brain's having to sorry long term well, memory She's
0: mastering the elements one by one and this is how she learns yes. to become attuned to her weakest element which is fire
1: I get you, and I see it, and I like it. I Maybe, it's not that this episode was a bit short then, maybe what I kind of just needed was just a little bit more of the setup to have been sprinkled in earlier. Like, okay. in the entirety of season one, I had no concept what her mission, quest, mastering the elements was a thing, mm-hmm. and it seemed, I felt very sprung upon in this episode.
0: Maybe, that maybe I'm like, that's fair. Here's
1: Kiddish's backstory. This is her mission. Oh, look, she's mastered an element.
0: I'm like, oh, wow, that was a quick 28 minutes. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. Maybe I can't I can't assess whether or not I think it's set up well enough because maybe that's just a blind spot I have. I do think the flashback to her mum should cover that, but maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm not um, saying it didn't cover it. I'm just saying it felt, I feel like what I needed is just
1: to maybe get a flashback for Keyleth. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, just a little bit earlier just a little moment when she gets pulled aside or she just kind mm-hmm. of chats to someone else like mm-hmm. oh i'm really up for like fighting the krona conclave but i haven't really looked at and explain a little bit about what she's her kind of history is um uh, i, it I was feel like, like they
0: did do that but hey ho i'm not gonna i'm not gonna dispute that since you have a very legitimate perspective as someone who doesn't know keelof's backstory already going into the show
1: but can I also add, that was sure. like the only negative. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like yeah, I felt Keelef hit me a little quick. Um, that's it. Everything I, else, I am like perfect, perfect, wonderful. Character note, character note. Like, like I said, I binged the latter half of this uh, series because I was just mm. like, every episode ended, I was just like, right, I just need to know the next bit. Uh, classic case, Scanlon moment, cliffhanger, and it's like, not a big action scene, but I'm like, I need to know how he reacts. Mm-hmm. I need I yeah. need to know what his character does next after he gets this reveal. I don't know why I'm mm-hmm. doing this as if it's spoilers. We're talking <laughs> sp- spoilers, people. Um yeah. when he finds out that he has a daughter and it's like I need to see how he reacts and then I want to see how the rest of the band
0: reacts at the news mm. hilariously. So. so I I, I want to ask uh I want to ask you about your reaction to Vaxel dance like character arc in this series because I would say that if there was a character who had a focus and it wasn't Scanlan because he kind of like He kind of like comes up in the last part of a show. I'd say the person who's the main thrust is Vaxeldon and his character arc. How do I put this?
1: I like Vax, mm-hmm. but I think he is the least interesting character if you had to sit down at a table with. And okay. I. I really enjoyed his moments because I really enjoyed his like his a lot of his action moments. Mm-hmm. Um I enjoyed the fact though when he gets his um his magic powers, uh, his magical armour to go mm-hmm. super fast and it's like, oh great action scene, brilliant, go for it. Um mm-hmm. I like then how he comes like the scout for the party. Um and I really enjoyed how in this character we get a lot more sense of the wider world and this mm-hmm. cult he's been brought into. But uh, say cult. He's made the I don't want to call it the prophet, no. The visage. no, what's the word? Champion. Champ- champion, we'll do that. I felt like there was like a religious like a more religious connotation word for it, but yeah. He becomes the champion of the I'm gonna call it Night Mother. <laughs>
0: but that's from older <laughs> no, that's, that's Skyrim. Um the 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 matron of ravens. The matron of ravens. We can't um, call her the Raven Queen, so she has to be the matron of ravens.
1: That's fine. I found that really interesting. The matron of Ravens, her role—is she antagonistic? Mm-hmm. Where does she stand? I just didn't find him that fun. I felt his journey was fun. He's his not action fun. scenes were fun. You know,
0: that's the point. That he's basically like—he's—he's he's in a really bad place. He doesn't get to have fun like everyone else. You know. I
1: guess I see that is the point, but I just mm-hmm. felt then internally because he has so much of his feelings going on. I loved him. His relationship with his sister, though, like mm-hmm. that whole overprotective element. I'm like, yep. And there, I feel you. I see how you need to grow, but I see how it's come about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't love him. He wasn't my favourite from this season. I'd appreciate that. It you know,
0: I respect that. Like, I love Vaxudan, and I, I also felt like you know he was he wasn't having the most interesting stuff to do this season. But maybe that's just because I knew. How did you feel about his the way his arc wrapped up? Like the lesson he learns. Oh, I really enjoyed it. I
1: particularly enjoyed his own sort of uh, inner piece that. Mm. So at the very near the end of the show, he gets pulled into this vision where he speaks to the Matron of Ravens and gets completely drenched in blood. And he kind of walks away from it with just sort of a a relaxed smile on his face mm-hmm. that he kind of feels like he knows his place in the world just a little better. And that was really beautiful. Yeah.
0: Really enjoyed that I, I, What I, and I think I now have to talk about and I keep talking about the shows, adaptational changes, because I think it's the most, the thing I find the most interesting about the show. It's what I think about every time I sit down and I watch an episode. I think about the way they've changed it. You know, the, the grog pike scan, and road trip, that's not in the original show. It's very good. The party getting separated, that's another show. That's very good. Kamal Giori almost everything about him is completely different. Myth Carver, completely different. Um... And they are fantastic adaptational changes because there's so much love and care from the original show. And I think the thing which is the best adaptational change is also the thing that's been changed almost the least. And that is Dan's arc in this show. Because almost everything about it is the exact same, but with tiny changes. For example, him getting super speed after getting the armor, that that didn't happen. He, had, he coincidentally got super speed around the same time... Because of a pair of magic boots... Which weren't connected to his destiny. So instead they changed that... And they made his big power up... Getting the armor... Which that, which wasn't just like a plus two suit of armor... Which eventually gave him wings... Um, That's a big change. The fact that he gets wings when he's falling out of the sky... Is another adaptational change. That's what Matt really wanted to happen... The dungeon master really wanted him to unlock at that point... But he didn't bite the hook, and so he got it after the Umbra Sil fight instead. But the thing that's really significant about this is all about that stuff that's happening behind the scenes. So, Duncan, would you say that Vaxodon's character is kind of like dark and moody throughout this um throughout this arc?
1: Oh, definitely. I think that's why his sort of a big character moment is more him coming to terms and peace. Mm. It's like a quiet peace than a heroic Hazar.
0: Yeah, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is is that he was much darker and even what a lot of people would say goth in the original show because Liam O'Brien, the character behind Vaxodan, was basically clinically depressed at the time.
1: Okay, well, that uh, recontextualizes things. Very, very yeah, and like, um...
0: the reason why Vaxodan was revealed to be face-touched is that Matthew Mercer, his friend, was like, I'm going to make... I'm going to give you a gift, essentially. I'm going to make you really important and really special. I'm going to make you, like, the focus. So he got to exercise a lot of the dark things he was feeling in his life through Vaxodan as a character. And honestly, I will say, I do feel like it actually made the show a bit worse because, like, the show went unnecessarily moody and dark in places. Um, and I feel like it's much more balanced in the show now. Like... Vaxodan is able to explore his dark, brooding moments without it sort of, I'm not going to say infecting, that'd be very mean, but like, without it sort of acting as a siphon for the rest of the energy of the show, also being dragged down. I think it,
1: and I'm not entirely sure, but when you have a show like this, you know the end point for the character because they've already played it through. So Mm. you can just tweak everything to Firm out an arc and I believe this is right, on the Critical Role, while Matt that Mer- the Matt Mer- On Critical Role, while Matt Mercer, you know, has written out the adventure, all the players are playing it straight. They they don't they're not clued in. Yeah, it's a D D game. It's a full on it's a proper D and D game.
0: Yeah. Full scripted.
1: So in that case then, they're having to improvise yet still create character arcs. Which obviously it's, as a D and D player, it, I, that's the thing I, I that I sets cannot. Critical
0: Role above all other, all other D and D live shows is the fact that they have these insanely talented voice actors playing these characters who know how to improvise. The thing which you will never understand, and I know you've seen, you know that Critical Role is a is a live is a live show. You know season one of Critical Role, but you will never understand truly understand Duncan that all of the cool badass one liners which Percy had. Tallison Jaffe just made up. He just said it on the fly. Like, it's <laughs> the big final showdown with him and his Union shadow self at the last episode is almost entirely. It's it's amped up in the show, but it's almost entirely, literally just a monologue from Tallison to his like to himself. Talking about like, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna defeat the darkness in my head? Should I should I shoot myself? Like it's you cannot imagine, like it's insane.
1: I think. Do you ever get this feeling? Uh, someone who know much good about, you know, was online. I I know of the internet mm-hmm. and D and D forums, and people often talk about the the Matt Mercer effect and Hayes influence on expectations around sure. like being a DM. I don't feel anyone like mm. realizes that, like, how good the actors and improvisers are.
0: Absolutely, for the players, He's got, like, you've got in one Duncan. That's absolutely right. There, there is no d d without players like like the Briwood arc it would suck without Tallison Jaffe. If Tallison Jaffy wasn't putting himself into the role of the main character and if the other players weren't patient enough to say, I'm going to have my fun, but I know the star of the show is Tallison, and I'm going to get my chance to be the main attraction later down the line. They did have a player who was a bit of a me 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 guy and he got kicked out before the Briwood art because he couldn't play ball he wasn't able to have fun and share the spotlight now like the best role players on the planet are people like travis willingham who plays grog because he is someone who will absolutely just sit down shut up and listen to other players completely underestimated yeah and I think it's
1: something that a lot of people maybe when they first go to d like don't realize and I know you've already used DMs a lot of games and even I'm not perfect um when you're a player and you you realize that your DM is trying to give you a bit of a role play moment and you don't mm. do jack shit like in terms of the creative arts I am a i work i did a stem degree <laughs> at university i work in engineering i never did a side project or anything in drama or took part in a single thing and suddenly you're like okay duncan here's your opportunity to do role play and you're literally there like okay i need to <laughs> do the conversation achieve the relative goals of the conversation but also keep remembering what my character arcs meant to be by the way we haven't Touched on this? Mm. Oh no, we missed a session. It's been three weeks. Where was my character? What recently happened? And you literally, I'm like, okay, so we did that combat. Am I traumatized? Am I traumatized? I've never been traumatized. What's this character been going through? Um, and shit, I need to ask about that. Duncan challenge.
0: is is not doing himself enough credit. Duncan is one of the more most enthusiastic role players that I've ever played with. Like, um, you, he absolutely loves getting involved in a character's head and taking him to like, where's my character gonna go? Is he gonna go to a dark place? Uh, so yeah like he's doing himself no credit i'm not saying i don't do it well i'm just saying it's a
1: lot of stress when i pull it off
0: (laughs) yeah duncan and i are quite similar players in one way which is that we we both have a tendency to forget that we aren't the main character because i love to role play and if i see a chance to talk to an npc i will grab a chance to talk to an npc in character and sometimes i'm like I might be stealing the oxygen from other players here. And Duncan doesn't get to dispute this. He's the exact same way.
1: I am. And I just want to say to all the guys who I play D&D with, thank you for putting up with me. Um, I constantly <laughs> walk away from situations and oh, go, fuck, I should have kept my mouth shut then. Or yep. if it's an NPC, if we're ever going up to an NPC at the band, like when the, the heroes walk into the room and the king's like there to give out our quest i am always like let me talk mm. to the king it never occurs to me to shut up and let someone <laughs> else agree the quest i'm like i'm here to hand in the quest sir
0: duncan and i have never been players in the same campaign except in a call of cthulhu game um we've never both been in a D game together and i worry that if we if we were if we were involved in a D game together um, we would just talk in character to each other for two hours and forget everyone else is at the table.
1: Yes, is <laughs> the short answer. Yes. I think my, although I'm just going to throw it out there, not all my fault. Doherty, I think, just lays out so many good RP hooks. I'm like, guys, can we, can we not? Look, he's clearly giving us a feed here. <laughs> Along the ribbon. Mm.
0: Um Okay, that's the us that. I don't have anything will to say. Thank you, though. That's a lovely conversation. <laughs> no worries. I can't wait for the next season to come out. There's a one hell of a cliffhanger, Duncan. It does. Um, I'm,
1: I'm excited for the next season. I, I really have confidence in The Legend of the and you know, to keep being
0: good. Uh, <laughs> I'm really interested in the next season, again, for adaptational changes, because there's a very significant change to this show. Which is the fact that one of the characters isn't in it. The character of Tiberius, the guy I mentioned, got kicked out of the game. Like, he's supposed to die in the next season and he doesn't exist. His species doesn't exist. What are they going to do? What are we going to do? I have no idea. Dragonborn, yeah.
1: Right. Big Dragonborn fan here. I am a little sad we haven't seen anything from their species because I want to see some Dragonborns realised in this animation.
0: The best bit is, Duncan, the best bit of the show is, is that in this show, you know, like, the cat people who just very occasionally show up? Yeah. They're just house cats. Isn't it amazing? They just are normal people, but they have cat head. They have, like, house cats. Heads. They're not, like, a slightly cat-like being. They're just house cats. Isn't that amazing? (laughs)
1: Is there not an official D&D cat
0: species, I'm forgetting? There is, and it doesn't look like that, which is why it's so amazing that they are just house cat people. I... I hope that that is a replacement for the Dragonborn. It's the cat people.
1: May it be. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> I think I've so I've looked ahead, Geordie. I did an naughty. I did look ahead. I love this season so much. I looked ahead. I looked... I tried to work um, out Duncan. on some paper. I didn't look up specific plots... But I tried to work out on paper, like, adaption rates. I had a list of, like, the mm-hmm. Critical Role episodes and a list of Vox Machina episodes and tried to make a mm-hmm. guesstimate at how much more... I have
0: my own guesstimate, so I'd be interested in hearing So
1: those. my estimate is that we'd probably see one more season of the Chrono Conclave arc and then we'd mm-hmm. get two follow-up seasons for the next... I saw there were two arcs to follow and I went, OK, we could probably fit them in two seasons. So I reckon five seasons yeah. as Vox Machina
0: that and that's that's very true personally i wonder given how much they change the show, show i wonder if they might just like either forget or completely smush together those last two seasons because one of those seasons is like it's a, it's it's a mini that's one thing it centers around a, a different character and I feel like fans would riot if he weren't in the show, but it definitely doesn't have enough content to justify a full season. So I reckon that'll be one season. I reckon there'll be four seasons of Alleged The Legend of Vox Machina.
1: So with one, the next season already greenlit for Amazon, I think all I
0: really want... No, Duncan, it's not just the next season. It's two more seasons greenlit for Amazon and a follow-up series... They're going to adapt the Mighty Nine, the second campaign. Right. I'm so happy
1: to hear that. The only thing I kind of want is whatever end it gets. It gets a end that Mm -hmm. they can plan for and it can be like a proper story arc end. I don't know if that's what I said, but I hate, I hate the number of times. The improvised show already had a beautiful ending. So like it shouldn't be
0: hard to adapt.
1: Good. Because it's a fear. I always mm. have it. I think, I think it was Legend of Korra, the Avatar follow-up, that always gave me this fear. It's like, please don't screw them over. Please give them the time and money to tell their story.
0: Yeah, that's true. And that's the thing is that the fact that they have it all greenlit and they have so much creative control is so promising. I think that's why the show is such a success. Duncan, do you know about the origins of this show? Like, forget about like it being a campaign. Do you know about like how the TV show came to be? Because I was there, Duncan. I was there 2,000 years ago. So
1: I was there and because it had a lot of buzz on Kickstarter.
0: Yes, exactly. And if I'm
1: not mistaken, they originally wanted to produce independently, like a single half hour short to like cover their origin story or something like that.
0: Yeah, like the. essentially they wanted to do one episode, which became the first two episodes of season one. But something very strange happened, didn't it, Duncan? I think they originally they had a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar. Which
1: goal. is a huge goal. Like I have seen video games get made for only three hundred thousand and people were like at the time, wow, that you did good, mate. Um but they made mm-hmm. more than that, mm-hmm. didn't they?
0: Yeah, they did they sure did. I contributed. <laughs> I was there on day one. Was it something close to eleven million? Yes. Eleven million. Was it dollars or pounds? I forget. Probably dollars. I think I might mean dollars. Yeah, like eleven and a half million dollars. It was insane in like a week. Like they, they hit hits like I don't know, like three million dollars in like the first hour or something. It was ridiculous. Their their first <laughs> their first kickstart like response thing literally starts with four of them just on camera with their mouths open staring for, like, a full 30 seconds of total silence. It's hysterical.
1: It's really interesting. As someone who, isn't into, who doesn't enjoy watching Critical Role, I feel such joy at mm. their success and such joy that... Yeah, it was so nice. Because of their success telling their story in that medium, that it's managed to transfer mediums, and now I can enjoy it in a different way. And what this I really love about this, Fan, what I want to put out there to people who are listening to this who haven't watched the show, all probably zero of you, let's be honest, based on our statistics. Um, Watch the show. 11.3 million dollars. Because you don't need to be part of all of that. It would be great to be there and it must have been wonderful to be part of that moment and amazing to them. Mm -hmm. But this show works on its own and knowing that history just improves Mm -hmm. it, but you don't lose anything from not knowing it.
0: Duncan, let me know if this isn't interesting, but would you like me to take you on the step-by-step goal of how we got to the point where they were going to make a TV show?
1: Uh, I'll I'll be honest, that might not be the most interesting.
0: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Uh, In that case, I'll just edit that out. Duncan, if there's one thing I regret about the show, it's that... You don't get to see how crazy Scanlan... Uh, sorry. You, if there's one thing I regret about the show, Duncan, is that due to, like, legal reasons, you can't see how incredible of an improviser um, Sam Regal is. As a bard, he set got the bar for it so high because almost whenever he cast, like, a big spell, he would improvise a song. He would take a song which already existed... And he would change up the lyrics to make them DD or this magic spell related. Like, if he had to wake someone up from a magic spell, he'd say, like, Wake me up before you go-go. And to, to and because you can't just take all of those songs, so many of Scanlan's jokes are uh, have to be removed or changed. And I really am impressed by the way they've risen to that challenge by making his songs actually, like, a part of the show. Like... In season one, my favorite joke about it is he says like, oh, I have to lift these people, but it's too heavy, heavy weight. And he starts playing heavy metal. And like, and that becomes the soundtrack for the scene. They do that tons of times. And I think it works really well.
1: or really does understand this character. Um, I think he gets on of you know, the best kind of comedy moments. You mentioned that then as an adaptation uh, issue. There are two adaptation points that I would love to know both relating to Scanlan, how they played out in the original show and how then it got adapted. First one. Sure. The Sphinx. There's a scene in season two where Scanlan and the gang meet a Sphinx and Sphinx goes, you must wound me for me to give you uh, the knowledge. Completely different. Yes. And everyone else goes and attacks it and Scanlan's a bit scared and they all get beaten up Mm -hmm. and the Sphinx bears down on Scanlan and Scanlan cracks out a love ballad. And that moves the Sphinx and he feels the pain in his heart and thus defeats it.
0: Yeah. How did that work? Everything involving the Sphinx is completely different. And it's the best change. It's such a sudden change because the first season is pretty faithful. It's pretty, a pretty, pretty, pretty faithful adaptation. That's the moment of the biggest change. Overwhelmingly different. And because there's no, you must wound me. I've never been wounded since the Calamity, which is all of time. Um, that's not in the show, period. He sets in this series of actually quite boring challenges, um, which does res- involve that whole Grog accidentally stabs Pike thing, but that's more of a literal complete accident as opposed to an example of him relying too much on Craven Edge and becoming toxic and violent. Uh, so that's way Just better in to the To clarify show. Raven but Edge is a that. evil possessed sword. Craven Edge. Craven Edge is an evil
1: possessed sword that drinks blood.
0: Just. It's 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 Storm it's Stormbringer. It's it's what's it called? Black Razor? What's D? It no, it's it's not Black Razor, it's it's Stormbringer. <laughs> they They have the same inspiration obviously yeah black evil sentient blades that hunger for souls or whatever, but no Craven edge is a' is a, is a different spin it's not actually black razor it's a, it's more literally just stormbringer well wow. it's quite literally yeah it doesn't even have joy it. joy it does hunger for blood instead of souls technically so there's a difference but yeah it's anyway um that whole thing is actually also way better but no like that whole thing he doesn't say I've never been hurt. I mean, maybe he does say that, but that's not his challenge. It's not hurt me. Um, the solution to that is way funnier, way cleverer. And the bond he has of Scanlan afterwards is new. And the fight with Umbracil is very new. I feel like we're, this, we've gone for a little longer than I even intended to. But like, i <laughs> well, sure he doesn't die. <laughs> he doesn't die. He just leaves the show. They never go back to him. And I feel like that whole thing is such a positive change because it's so unexpected and dramatic and it really sets up Umbrasil as a villain. Duncan, what did you think of Umbrasil as a villain? Okay, so Umbrasil is
1: uh, one of the dragons from the Chrono Enclave. He's not the head dragon. Mm-hmm. He's one of his deputies. No. And I'm not going to lie, I for the whole season, I kind of went, yeah, you're, you're because season two needs a boss and the big boss is safe for season three. Um He's mm. got that mirror on him. Now, I do still think he was enjoyable. I like the fact that he had his own greedy kind of inclinations and his plans outside his kind of master's goals. I like that. I like a back savvy mm-hmm. henchman potentially. um mm-hmm. he, Do you know what? I mentioned earlier that one of my favourite scenes is when Grog fights his uncle. And that's kind of because mm. I enjoyed that character dynamic and the villain of the uncle just a bit more than the character dynamic in I just like, yeah, you're the evil dragon. Got a bit of depth, thanks, but he he definitely felt like we can't beat the big boss yet, so here's the stand in.
0: I yeah. I definitely see see what you're saying there, and I understand that. Um my perspective on it is different because like all of the scenes where you just see Umbra Seal by himself or talking to Anna
1: talking to unknown character, talking to
0: Anna Ripley or Thordak. It's um they're all completely new. Like and it gives him a lot more depth and menace than he ever had before, where he like barely speaks and he's literally just one of the dragons they have to kill. He's more interesting than Vorigal, of but I've no idea how what they're gonna do with Vorigal next season because the white dragon, like like I literally don't know what they're gonna do. Like where is he gonna attack? Is he gonna talk? He never spoke before. They even already used up one of Scanlan's lines against him.
1: <laughs> what does come out of Umbrasil, though, which is fantastic, is my second adaptation question, because it was okay. d d So, simply it has to obey by the D&D rules. Georgie, as a mm. DM, um, if I asked you if I could uh, try and climb up inside a dragon's butthole, uh, what would you tell me as a player?
0: Um, so in the original show, they use dementia. Of course! To get inside. Of course. Yeah. Uh, which is more legal than going inside a dragon's When you just tell me I it's full
1: of acid, that... you literally, if I said, you just oh, go, well, no. they're full of acid, Duncan, you'll die.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would have been way meaner than, 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 um, than, uh, than Matt was in the TV show, in the, but no, in the, um, in the in the original show, he was like, "That was a terrible idea. That was sucked. You're dying of acid now, and and it really wasn't good for them." Good. It didn't go that well in the TV show either, but it went worse in the show. And uh, but the removable in the original, it was an immovable rod, and that's exactly the same. It wasn't given to him by Kaylee. That that's just way That's just good storytelling. And it wasn't an immovable sword. Yeah, immovable rod. But they did get to use the line you move when Scanner's short hurt to allow the uh, you move when Scanner's hurt allows you to move, is a change from when Voragol tries to escape him in a different fight, and he slaps it down with his magic hand and uses the line, you leave when Bert Reynolds toes you can leave because Scanlan sometimes just refers to himself as Burt Reynolds Esquire. Okay, of course he does. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having way too much fun just thinking about Critical Role.
1: It's it's one of those things where it's like, it's weird because, you know, often if a guy tells me about, like, his D&D campaign, when I talk to my little brother, I can see the look on his face. Mm. I know he had so much fun. It was a great experience. But ultimately, I wasn't there and I couldn't live it. With Critical Role, I'm like, well, I could go and live it. If I really wanted to, mm. um, I could go and have the same experience. And the bit of my brain, I was like, yeah, but it's a long time, Duncan, and you're a busy man, so... Yeah. Let's enjoy it as how... it appears on TV.
0: i what I think is really going to be the case is that after talking about how good this show is, next month it's March. We're going to see the D and D movie, and there's no way it's going to be as good as this, you know? No, um, no, I don't think so. Uh, to be fair, it, it'll, it'll
1: sure, I'm sure I'll have fun watching it. But I enjoyed watching like the Warcraft movie. My my standards aren't it's particularly high. Yeah. Um, you but I think yet? that's part of the, what makes this show. Sorry. You seen Avatar 2 yet? Avatar 2? No, I haven't. Man, no. you gotta get on it. I'll wait till it comes on Disney Plus.
0: Disney Plus, Duncan! You have to see it on the big screen!
1: <sighs> it's fine. I've got big TV, mate. It's
0: not I've big enough. Duncan. Alien whales. They're so big. You need the screen to be able to contain the whales.
1: I wish Black like, Panther on my phone, actually. That probably was a mistake. Oh um, you know, What was I on about? Oh yeah. And I think that actually links to something quite interesting. The fact that this show does divorce from the D&D. Um, yeah. As I mean, to that sincerity, that's how I mentioned at the very start, but I want to link back around to, despite having a lot of like comedy in the show and some funny characters, what really made this show really special to me, watching it, is that it has that sincerity that I don't think I've really seen since watching like Avatar, The Last Airbender in mm. a form of Western animation. Because the to the characters, I don't know if I, I never once feel that the characters aren't fully really committed to the save the world, to the quest they're on, and to each other. Like, it, they really do play it. When Scanlon has this moment with his, with his daughter, mm. they don't play it for laughs. They let it
0: sit as a sincere moment, and I was just like, yes, yeah. thank the, the you. The original, like, big shock revelation is supposed to be funny, uh, but everything after that is very sincere, and Scanlan is way more sincere. Like, aside from going up the... Uh, the dragon's rectum, um, there are no jokes from Scammon, who is a joke character. He's completely sincere and serious after that.
1: I don't think, uh, Dungeons and Dragons Among
0: Thieves is going to be as sincere. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of the movie, though, I actually have a really interesting thing, like prospectors comes up. So Duncan, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, but I'm now like, uh, an official pro dungeon master. Like I now get paid to run games. Um, and a and the like manager for one of my local cinemas walked past our shop, saw our sign advertising D and D games, and has invited me and the other like the other uh, store dungeon master to come run a D and D game in the lobby of the Light in in Cambridge and advertise D and D games to um to people who go to see D and D Honor Among Thieves. Oh, that is
1: incredible, mate. Mm. You are you are advertised. You are shitting for their products. <laughs>
0: you know, it's 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 a partnership, Duncan. It's a partnership because I'm gonna hand out leaflets about like games at our store and then bring them in. Yeah, so you know.
1: Oh, I'm so happy for you. And then you're gonna if they ask, they'll be like, "Have you seen the movie?" And you're gonna have to go, "Yeah, it was amazing, regardless <laughs> of the
0: truth." what I'll say is they won't let me in they just have me out here playing games of Dungeons and Dragons set me free please take me away from here <laughs> that's your first quest <sighs> oh. I'm glad we got to talk well, about this show Duncan I am
1: too and I hope you know we first kind of met playing D&D and it's mm. such a big fun. I'm reading really forward to the film when it comes out I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, once we've seen it sure um uh,
0: wrap us up i don't know what to say <laughs> this is the end here's to uh here's to more D- dungeons and dragons media and genuinely i feel like there is such a gap for it i don't know why wizards of the coast haven't done their own D cartoon they already made one in the 80s just do it again but better
1: to be honest i'm very surprised that we have never gotten uh a tv show that really um to be honest, I'm really surprised that we've never gotten a TV show that really explores some of their like marketed worlds, not marketed worlds, trademark worlds. Like, sure. where is the forgotten realm TV show? Like, video games, you know, Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, and all that. Like, that was all licensed, but we've yeah, never kind Kring of got an animated is like, show.
0: Is super heroic fantasy oriented. You could absolutely. You know, like, go on a pretty strict... If you wanted to do the D&D cartoon again, that would be the place to do it in. And if you wanted to do, like, some more weird, wacky, more typically, I don't know, Rick and Morty-esque style shows, then you have places like Eberron, where it's, like, nice and weird and wacky, or even Spelljammer, to just go, like, ooh, crazy, balls to the wall, whatever. To be pretty honest, I'm actually
1: shocked that... The uh, Curse of Shard has never been adapted, like, outside of the role medium other than that one novel.
0: Uh, oh, no, Duncan, there are so many novels. Are you kidding? There's, like, 60. Uh, I, really?
1: I literally thought there was just Ice Shard and none other. Okay. No, I mean, Ice Shard, wow.
0: like, literally ha- one has a sequel, but all the Domains of Dread, they all have, like, a bunch of novels. All
1: right, then. I guess the we're uh, Halloween. next <laughs> book club might be.
0: All right. You know what? I've been your host, Geordie Bailey. <laughs> and I've been your other host,
1: Duncan Nichol. Please join us next week where we pick up our book club with Deadly Education. And if you want to talk to us about the E&D, Legends of Rock, Mark and L, any book that we've covered or will be covering, uh, you can do so by contacting us over Instagram, Is this Just Fantasy Podcast, or write us an email, is just fantasy podcast at gmail.com.
0: Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Duncan, you're so good at it now. You're so polished. That's a nat 20 right there.
1: Thank you. Always well high on Christmas. Ugh, unfortunately, that's true. Bye-bye. Bye, all.